Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How's it going? All right. So this month I've been talking about and kind of sharing pieces of programs that I offer to corporations and nonprofits and professional associations, community organizations. Earlier this month, I covered uh, active listening and effective communication. And today I want to talk about a program that I do primarily for kind of lunch and learns, you know, the Rotary Club kind of thing. And it's called Why Aren't They More Like Me? Leveraging Personality Differences in the Workplace, which is based on the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator or MBTI. And that is the world's most widely used personality inventory. I also do half day and full day retreats with the Myers-Briggs. And so this, in these situations, it's primary companies, primarily companies or nonprofits that bring me in to solve a problem they're having. So they want to do team building, they want to do communication, they want to do leadership skills, and they want to use the Myers-Briggs as the tool for that. And what happens in those situations is the participants take the Myers-Briggs ahead of time on my site, and I bring their results with me to the retreat. I spend the morning going over the Myers-Briggs, explaining the tool to them, what what the preference pairs are, Then I give them back their results and make sure they understand what they're looking at. And then after lunch, we do activities based on whatever the goals of the group are. So if the goals of the group are team building, then the activities that I'm going to select will be specific to team building. And that's the time when the Myers-Briggs really comes alive because people can see it kind of in action as they do these various activities. They can really see how those differences play out in the workplace. In this shorter version that I'm going to kind of go over with you today, the the participants don't take the MBTI, but I do explain the facet pairs to them, and I'm going to do that for you guys just on a very brief level. And then I give them kind of some food for thought about how to recognize personality preferences in their team members and then how they can maximize their team's effectiveness. So whether you lead a team now, whether you aspire to lead a team, or whether you're just a member on a team, these are really helpful tools for you. I always think of the Myers-Briggs as being a foreign language that you're learning. All you're going to learn today is a couple of nouns, really, in, in terms of acquiring that foreign language, but you are at least making steps towards learning that foreign language. There's two things that I think are really important to know about kind of team dynamics as it relates to personality type. Research has shown that you're going to get along better with those that you are most like. So in terms of these facet pairs that I'm going to explain to you, someone who is very similar or exactly has the exact same personality type with you, you're going to get along with them. It's going to be much easier for you to work with them because you process information the same way you make decisions the same way, you are oriented to the world the same way, and you organize yourself the same way. On the flip side of that, research has shown that a balanced group, so a group that has all the preferences reflected in it, is going to be more effective if everyone is on the same page. So oftentimes, that's why I'm called in to do the team building, the communication skills, the conflict management the leadership development, because there's a group who has tremendous potential 
and maybe they're just kind of falling short in terms of coherence. And the Myers-Briggs can, Myers can be an amazing tool to help with that. Let's talk about these personality pairs then. We have four preference pairs. So if I kind of picture, if I draw a picture for you of the type chart that is the Myers-Briggs, there are 16 possible personality types. So there's four preference pairs, right? And then there you can be any combination of those pairs. So that comes out to 16 personality types. The first preference pair has to do with how you recharge your batteries, how you get your energy. Extroverts get their energy from the activities, the people, the things, the busyness that goes on around them. They love being in large groups of people and, and interacting with people. Introverts get their batteries charged by being away from people and being by themselves or with maybe just one other person where they can really have a meaningful conversation and just that's how they charge themselves. And again, with each of these pairs, there's a lot more depth to it than what I'm going over, but I want to give you a high level overview of them. The next preference pair is sensing versus intuition, and this has to do with how you process information. So think about what kind of information you like to deal with. Is it more concrete or abstract and how you process? So sensors process information, by the way, the five senses. So they want to be able to see, taste, touch, hear, and or smell it in order to work with it. It's tangible. They can hold it in their hands. Intuitives prefer to deal with information that is more abstract and conceptual. So they like dealing with ideas, abstract concepts, relationships between things, creative kind of concepts, not things that you can touch and, and see, taste, touch, or hear, or smell. Sensors tend to be very detail-oriented. They sometimes can't see the forest, the big picture for the trees, because they're very grounded in the, in the facts. Whereas intuitives sometimes don't see the trees for the forest, so they are so big picture-oriented, they don't always see the details. The next preference pair is thinking versus, versus feeling, and this has to do with how you make decisions. Thinkers make decisions with their head using cool and personal logic and reason. They make their decisions objectively based on facts. Feelers make their decisions subjectively using their heart. So they're going to take into consideration values, morals, ethics, you know, um, the, the feelings of the group. And then finally, judging versus perceiving has to do with how you structure your world. Judgers want a superstructure of organization in their lives. So they love planners. They love knowing what they're going to do on the weekend well ahead of the weekend. They want their days to be scheduled. They don't necessarily do well with surprises and unexpected things coming up in their schedule. Perceivers want to maintain as much openness and spontaneity as they possibly can, particularly in their personal life when they're not at work. They don't want to have a structure and a schedule. They want to be free to kind of do what they want to do when they want to do it. And they definitely don't want someone else trying to superimpose a structure on them. So some things to keep in mind as it relates to personality type. Extroverts need introverts so there's somebody listening to them. Think about a room full of extroverts. Everybody's talking. Everybody's trying to get the word in and no one's listening. Introverts need extroverts, so there's someone talking. A room full of introverts is a very quiet set, a very quiet place. Sensors need intuitives, so there's creativity. The sensors are those detailed people, but they're not necessarily the creative type. 
the intuitives need the sensors so that there's attention to details. If the intuitives come up with a great idea, the sensors are often the ones that are carrying those details out and making sure that they happen. Thinkers need feelers so the humanity of the organization shines through. So the feelers are the ones who are going to be worried about corporate culture. How are we getting along? How are we as a team? What is our message? What is our, how are we doing with our, um, our community service? What's our message to our, our constituents? Do they think we're a good place to work and to do business with? Feelers need thinkers because there are tough decisions to be made. So those thinkers are the ones who are going to make those budget cuts and make those personnel cuts and make those decisions about shifts in direction of the company, even when it's very difficult. Judgers need perceivers because they have a tendency to want to rush into a decision and the perceivers are the one who can kind of put the brakes on that, keep them in the process, in the, in the possibility phase long enough that they don't rush into a decision. Conversely, perceivers need judgers because deadlines are a real thing, and an office full of perceivers may mean that deadlines are non-existent or certainly ignored. So I want to give you some ideas about what you might run into in terms of personalities in the workplace and what you could do to get the most out of these people. Again, if you're a manager, this is great, but even if you're not, it's great food for when you become a manager, and it also can be used with team members. Scenarios number one is you have a team member who is really great with details and deadlines. You probably have a sensor judger. So sensor is how they take in information. They have the detail people. Judger, very structured, organized life. So these are extremely structure-oriented people. They do not do well with ambiguity. So number one, this is a great person to give complex projects to. These people love to dig in to solve problems that may, depending on your personality type, may drive you nuts. So they would love to fix a database that is all screwed up or take a storage room and make it really super organized. Um, so they love that stuff. And this is particularly useful if you're the boss and that is not your personality type. Just recognize that what you don't want to do, the sensor judger lives for it. Another thing that, that, that you want to do with a sensor judger is you want to provide enough information on project scope, timelines, deadlines. You have to give them a full, detailed kind of description of what you want them to do and, and what may be a lot more detailed than you would normally or feel comfortable giving because it's what they need. They want to know, they want to get all their questions answered. They want to know how this thing is going to shake out before they ever leave the starting blocks. And then finally, you might feel like you're micromanaging the sensor judger, but they're not going to see it that way. As long as you are trusting them and you're not coming at this from, I don't trust you to do the work. So they know you're trusting them. You're just providing them with a lot of information and you're checking in regularly. You're allowing them to come in and check in with you regularly. They're going to be happy with that. What they're not going to do well is here's a general idea of what I want you to do. No deadlines, no benchmarks, no real parameters, go do it. It is awful for them to do something like that. You should never expect it. All right, next group. You have a creative team member who consistently delivers great stuff at the last possible second. You have an intuitive perceiver. So creative, big picture thinker, but also someone who is kind of last minute deadline focused. 
So number one with these people is you want to give them as much leeway as possible in using their creativity to solve the problem, right? So whereas with the sensor judger, they wanted very clear parameters. Like if you think about the, the description of the project you're giving a sensor judger, you want to keep it in a very tight box and you want to contain it. What you want to do is with the intuitive perceiver is just the opposite. Tell them what the end goal is. I need this thing to happen. I need this database fixed. Have at it. Don't give them too many details. And don't expect them to do it in the way that you would do that project. Or maybe someone that you've had do the, a similar project in the past has approached it. They want to have the freedom and to be creative in how they approach that product project. And they may not come and say anything to you. So you may check in with them periodically to see how it's going, but understand that perceivers are going to do their best work at the 11th hour. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So make sure that you are not checking in with them as a sort of, um, what do I want to say? Sort of a, a passive aggressive, I don't trust you to get this done on time kind of thing. And I know of what I speak because I did that with a perceiver before. It didn't go well. Next thing. To that point about the deadlines is that you may need to create what I call artificial deadlines so that you get what you need when you really want it. So what do I mean by that? If you need to turn your project over to your boss on June 1st and you are getting, a comp getting component parts from several members of your team and you need time to take those components and put it into the report or whatever it is, you don't want to tell your team members that the deadline is June 1st. I wouldn't even tell them that your deadline for the boss is June 1st. You set a deadline of maybe May 15th, May 1st, whatever you need, depends on how much work you have to do. Because you're going to get it from the perceivers at that on or <laughs> later than that date that you give them, that artificial deadline. So if you say May 15th, they're probably going to say, hey, five o'clock or can I, do I have till midnight that day? They're going to push that deadline to the max. And don't punish them for that because that's when they're doing their best work. Um, so just make sure you give yourself the time to do what you need to do with the information they're providing you. And then finally, to the degree that you can allow flexibility in the work environment. So the hours that they work, maybe can they work from home some? Can they, you know, do you have an environment down in your cafeteria or some kind of a meeting space where they can get together and do their work, right? Just like how creative can they be? I love some of these really millennial and now Generation Z oriented companies that have got like ping pong tables and, you know, they've just got all this stuff you can just go do, right? Go play basketball. If you're not getting your work done, might as well go play basketball, be creative, get some exercise, and it'll come to you. So the next situation is you have a team member who loves to talk and is great in interacting with others. You probably have an extrovert. So what you want to do with this extrovert is give them a front facing role. So that could be, you know, greeting customers. It could be having them in an office where they have, they can interact with other employees. They're, you know, they're not stuck in a back corner somewhere. And then you also want to keep in mind how draining it will be for them to be alone. So if they have a project that they have to complete on their own and they're kind of stuck away somewhere doing it or maybe some sort of training that they have to go through that's virtual and they're not around people all day, just being aware of that and then compensating for that by saying, hey, I know you've got that thing you've got to do today. How about we all go to lunch together or we all go out for drinks afterwards or just making sure that you don't assign another project right on the tail of that project that will be also very isolating for them. They need the people. They do better with the people. 
And then my final example is you have a team member who loves to be in a back room with a research project. You have an introvert. So you want to give them as much alone time as possible. So be aware of the fact that meetings, group activities, conferences, all of those kind of things are very draining for introverts. And so compensating for that, right? I know we have to be in this meeting all morning, so you know, don't give them some group project that they have to do or they have to go be on the phone or they have to do some kind of sales thing in the afternoon. They need their time alone. And then the other thing about introverts is that they really need the meeting agendas ahead of time so that they can be at their best. So introverts process information internally, right? So you maybe you want them to come to the meeting with ideas on how to improve the sales figures. If you spring that on them in the meeting, you're not going to get the best information from them because they haven't had time to process it and think about it. And preferably, they like to write it down. So you give them the meeting minutes three days ahead of time and now they can prep for it. The extroverts are going to barely glance at that thing, probably not, but the introverts will be grateful that they've had it and that they can think about those items that you want them to bring ideas about to the table. So as I said before, if you've never been exposed to the MBTI, this is your first foreign language lesson. I love the Myers-Briggs. I have seen the good that it does in, again, team building communication, uh, leadership development, conflict management, but I also work with it one-on-one -on -one with my clients in career decision-making. And that tends to fall into one of three categories. Either the client is completely flummoxed on what direction he wants to go in with his career, has no ideas, so the, then the, the Myers-Briggs can be a great way to kind of generate possibilities that we can investigate and discuss. Then there are other clients who have so many ideas and so many things that appeal to them that the Myers-Briggs can kind of focus that in and bring it down to a manageable number that we can progress with. The third group I see is people who have a really good idea of where they want to go. So they think they're on track. They're pretty sure they found a great career for them. And the Myers-Briggs serves as a a checks and balance for them like oh good I'm seeing it on paper what I think I want to do what I believe would be a good fit for me and of course we're talking about that too it's not just the test results here you know do this with them but it's me having a conversation with them over a three session um, coaching package to really get at um, you know what what this instrument and I also do it with a, an interest inventory what are these two tools telling them about themselves in terms of career? And what do we want to do with that information? Where do we want to go with that information? As always, I want to be your career coach, guys. So look up the URL for my uh, calendar on the in the show notes. And you can schedule a 45-minute consult with me. And we will talk about how we can take this work further. And I can help you even more in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. Find me on the socials. You know where I'm at. Blah, blah. Connect with me on LinkedIn. That's what most of y'all are doing. So connect with me on LinkedIn. Lisa Edwards. Don't forget to spell my, my first name right, L-E-S-A, and I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.